We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome into the Rotowire NFL podcast. Today is Thursday, November 12th. I am your host, John McKechnie, joined as always by Mario Puig. We are already into week 10 of the NFL season. I can't believe it's moving along this quickly. We got a big loaded slate to get to, a lot of fun matchups uh, waiting for us this week. We got, for viewership pur- purposes, we got like five or six games in the late afternoon window. So that'll be, that'll just make for an excellent afternoon of football watching. We got some fun uh, primetime games as well. So a lot to get to um, in this podcast. Let's start things off, Mario, with the Thursday night matchup between the Colts and the Titans. This is one of those spreads that doesn't make a ton of sense to me, but that's why I'm not a sharp. Um, because, I mean, I look at this and I I see the way that Indianapolis has been playing of late, and I see the way the Titans have been playing uh, of late, and I can't square Indianapolis being a one-point road favorite against the Titans. What do you think? 
Right. I had the exact same thought as you. I, I, I saw the spread and I thought, idiots. And then I remembered, oh, no, I'm the, the me. <laughs> what am I what am I missing here? And it's it's one of those pointless questions because it's like, well, if I had any clue, I wouldn't have been so surprised, would I? Uh, so I don't know what the deal is. I guess I could imagine it having something to do, uh, especially since the over under fell by two points with the spread uh, taking a two and a half point swing. It's like maybe this is just expecting a bad game from Tannehill or, or and Henry. I, I would normally think Tannehill has the bad game if they um, totally fall off because Henry can have uh, like Henry alone won't make the offense just good. Like Tannehill needs to make those those plays after, uh, off the play action sure. that he normally does. But I feel like for them to lose to a team that's struggling on offense the way the Colts are uh, would probably take uh, Tannehill not showing up in addition to Henry not showing up. But I don't know. It's 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 definitely enough of a swing in a, enough of a surprising way and with uh, enough public money, I guess, still on. So it's like uh, more than two thirds of the money appears to be on the Titans despite this or the betting volume anyway appears to be on the Titans despite uh, the over under going down and the, the spread swinging in the favor of the Colts. So uh, perhaps someone who has made money before in situations like these had some spare money to put down on on the Colts. And I, I don't want to, you know, have any quarrel with those shadowy figures. So um, I'm I'm, decli- I'm like, you know, I'm inclined to defer to them, but I, I, listen, I still look it through and I think, Okay, so the the basic issue here seems to be that the Tennessee defense is bad and the Indianapolis defense is good. Sure. But in the ways that the the Indianapolis defense is good, I don't know if it applies quite the same way one to one against an offense like this as it might in some other cases. And at least I'm thinking of you know the Titans and AJ Brown, I guess, going against the Bears. It's like yeah, Tannehill had a bad game there, but uh, AJ Brown getting matched up with against Xavier Wo- Xavier Rhodes like that's something that I think about with with another receiver you know some, someone like Miles Boykin last week and I think like oh Rhodes will be fine even though we don't think Rhodes is that skilled mm-hmm. he fits in this Matt Aberflus coverage scheme I don't know if that fit you know trick gets you past a talent disparity like this one and so I, I don't really want to bet against the Titans but I, I guess part of the opportunity might just be in the fact that yeah like two-thirds of the bets is on the Titans and um, if, if the public is going that much in one direction, then it then it makes a little sense, to t- a little more sense to take that leap of faith that like actually Xavier Rose will win this time because the Titans got too many problems. But it's like their offensive line is goofy slash busted on the on the edges. So like they got Roger Saffold and I don't know their interior otherwise is OK to, to maybe uh, keep what is it, Grover Stewart and, and DeForest Buckner from from going nuts on them in the interior. But the edge is the problem and you, you can't block the edge. You uh, have a harder time setting up those play action plays, which Tannehill needs. Like you can't really, he can't be a high volume passer as much as these people with EPA and things that uh, other other non dynamic metrics that uh, don't actually account for the nature of football. No, but, but they're they're true you. though. All of them are true. Yeah, like, yeah. Tannehill's doing better. He's 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 Tannehill's the best better than Aaron Rodgers. He's the best quarterback when you make his job limited and and don't ask him to do much. It's 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 a diminishing return when you make him do other stuff and like they can't grasp that. I, th- I think these betters can can see that that's you know something that is real and, and has something to do with it because when Tannehill goes bad, he goes really bad, and it's it is a scenario where they could get blown out just because if they can't get anything going on offense, their defense is helpless, and it doesn't even really matter if uh, if you know Jonathan Taylor and Jordan Wilkins and Ahim Hines are struggling or whatever. It's like they're not going to struggle against this defense. Okay, yeah, I do want to I do want to 
dive into that a little bit further because we talked about like the sort of weak points on these teams maybe not matching up the the way where there will be a, a big mismatch or exploitation or one one way or the other and I think a lot has been made of Tennessee's lack of ability to to generate a pass rush but you know in a situation where you're going up against Philip Rivers not that you want to give him unlimited time like it Rivers still has enough in the tank to like you know if he sits back there in the pocket and lets all the routes develop like he can still do some things but still point remains even if the pass rush continues to not show up like it does for Tennessee I don't think it hurts them as bad against Indianapolis as it would most other teams just because I think that Rivers and that group of skill position players that Indianapolis has is pretty bad overall I would say I mean, it's I guess I guess it's just a question of Tannehill to me because, okay. uh, like you said, Philip Rivers is bad. There's only so much damage he can do. He won't, however, blow the game in this setting, in my opinion, unless they rush him. Because even if I don't think Rivers can throw downfield, I bet if you give him seven seconds of play, he can just kind of direct guys on improvised routes and stuff like that. Find little uh, kind of like Ben Roethlisberger has been all year. You know, like the, these these box scores that are ugly and he can't throw down field, but he's, he's doing just enough to move the chains and eventually the defense gets tired and eventually points come out of it, et cetera. So that can happen in this setting because the Titans both haven't shown a pass rush in a way that's weird, by the way, it's, mm-hmm. it's like their personnel isn't great, but it shouldn't be anywhere near this bad. You shouldn't have a pass rush this useless with Simmons, Clowney and Harold Landry. And yet that's uh, exactly the result here. I, I mean, don't it know wasn't bad last year, was it? I mean, it must've no, been at it least wasn't. pretty good. It's like they're just uh, totally lost, and I don't I don't know what their problem is, to be honest, but the personnel is not as bad as the results have been, no. even if the personnel is questionable. But their corner personnel is trash. Like, they cut sure. uh, Jonathan Joseph. Desmond King, I guess, is an upgrade over Jonathan Joseph, but probably only if he's inside. If he's playing outside, then those, those worries about Desmond King out of Iowa as a prospect become a, a real thing because he has short arms and can't really run that fast. But it doesn't matter in the slot. Uh, but the point is there's – a guy like T.Y. Hilton can probably get open against these corners all day day uh, maybe even enough so that even philip rivers can hit him but um, these receivers can beat these titans corners and it doesn't look like there's a pass rush to make rivers i guess talking this through i'm actually i actually do like the colts in this game now <laughs> all right well in the face of new developments i will not change i will just i'll just continue to be wrong, like but titans <laughs> so it's, uh, it's not like i'm that real about it but yeah. I, I i at least am like yeah you see it on the titans here maybe not yes you, you definitely you know you, you reasoned it out um from from the fantasy pr- perspective here um any guys that you you'd be like sort of on the fence about starting or sitting uh from this particular matchup oh, yeah things are pretty tough with the colts across the board but i i think rivers should be okay if you need to go with him i don't know what to make of the fumble with jonathan taylor i mean i, I think it's a, it's a it's a little weird for a coach to just act like a, a player doesn't know that fumbling is wrong uh, the way that Bruce Arians does with Ronald Jones. Like, I, I think it's absolutely insane to just bench Ronald Jones in that case. I can understand it a little more with 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 Taylor just because uh, I don't know. It's like he's a rookie. That he was did a have, knock on him coming out. You know, fumbling issue at Wisconsin. So, yeah, maybe you were like, OK, let's make sure he doesn't like unwind or something. But like I, I, I don't know if Reich is doing something more like that or something more like the the blockheaded Bruce Arians thing, which is like if a guy fumbles. You got to put him on the bench. No doubt about it, which even they don't they don't mean that they're not benching, you know, some star running back when they do that. They only meet it in this superstitious, arbitrary way. Um, but Reich could do that with Taylor. So it's like if, if you don't want to go with him, I get it. I'm not going to 
tell anyone not to, but I would consider Taylor like a pretty high upside flex play given how bad the the Titans defense looks right now. And if you got to go with Hilton or if you have to go with Pascal, Michael Pittman, uh, whatever, Jordan, I, I wouldn't worry much about those guys if you have to go with them because it's like this is one of the best case setups for them. And if, if you have to now isn't the worst time. OK. All right. Makes sense. Um I'm just surprised in general about the Titans. Like they, they were such like a smash mouth team last year. And, and I feel like part of a smash mouth identity involves like a, a very like havoc creating and, and stifling defense. And it, it's weird that they still kind of carry that, that lunch pail identity, but just like aren't really getting it done on defense. It's very like very disconnected. I, I feel like it's, it's a very strange development from Tennessee, but I, I still think that they have um, enough pieces to, you know, make, make some noise come January but this is a sneaky tough game I I will concede that Um, let's get on over we got the football team going up against the Lions Lions four and a half point favorites in this one a lot of uh, injuries going on in this one obviously I mean Washington down to their third quarterback down to Alex Smith we got Antonio Gibson on the injury report we got Kenny Galladay Having missed last week, he's questionable with his hip injury. Not totally sure what's going on there. So a lot of uh, attrition on both sides heading into Sunday's matchup. Yeah, and this is, I feel like, a weird matchup generally. When you throw in the injuries, it doesn't make it any easier to parse out. So uh, the the shoulder thing with Gibson bothers me a little bit, uh, especially that he's missing practice yesterday. I don't know what's going to happen with that Thursday here. But hopefully gets in practice. I would still uh, kind of not get my hopes too high at the moment as, as an Antonio Gibson owner. I'd be probably a little bit thinking through <clears throat> what I might need to do in case this takes a turn for the worse. But if he's active, I guess it's it's hard to leave him on the bench. I know some people are worried about uh, his game scripts going such that if well, if Washington falls behind, then Gibson doesn't play because <clears throat> Ron Rivera and uh, the, the Turner um, – nepotism case i can't remember his name uh they they don't want to put antonio gibson out there in passing situations and they say like well he hasn't learned how to pass block well it's like a i'm sure jd mckissick's pass blocking isn't making a meaningful difference in your offense you're still terrible like what you're going to go from worst to worst shut up this isn't a serious concern but they have that's the way they think so like they're going to keep putting mckissick out there in these these passing down situations and i can understand why someone would say like oh well matt stafford isn't going to lose he matt stafford's in fact known for being really good against teams with losing records but do we feel that sure about it if, if Galladay is not out there or if Galladay is really limited the way, uh, you know, considering Marvin Jones has looked limited even when healthy this year. I don't know if that's fair to Stafford, especially with this this pass rush, which can get pretty nasty even without two of its guys this year. So uh, I, I can see the game flow. I can see this game being closer and Gibson having an avenue as a runner. But it is true at this point that if it looks like Washington falls behind, then you have to seriously uh, you have to, you have to take seriously the possibility that Gibson basically doesn't play at that point. Mm, yeah, that's a that's a tough development, and you know, for for a guy who I think if you just looked at his college production, you'd be, you know, uh, the the workout metrics pointed to him, you know, having a, a legitimate future at running back. But it's like he should be pretty good as a pass catcher too. Maybe he's oh, not, yeah. not as used to running it, it's at, running it out of the backfield. 
It's like just if you don't want him to pass – if he's not pass blocking well enough, then turn it into a route. If the defense wants to say – or if you say like we need this guy to pass block here, I feel like it's only legitimate on play action type cases or deep drops or something like that. In a general hurry-up situation, you can't let the defense threatening to blitz a guy be a reason to keep a guy from running a route. Like what if we – they don't keep receivers in to block against suicide blitzes, you know? It's, it's a ridiculous mm-hmm. idea. It's like if they want to blitz that guy, then put Antonio Gibson outside and when they run at the quarterback there's no one covering Antonio Gibson so you throw it to him and then they don't blitz the next time but they're going the opposite way like what if we put a guy on the field who can't get the first down um but will make the block on the incomplete pass like it's it's just ridiculous the way that uh, some of these coaches think yes yeah it's it's very strange how that I mean like McKissick does like he definitely warrants getting on on the field but like you said I mean running back pass blocking like being like the thing that's keeping Antonio Gibson off the field feels a little bit um kind of old school and and dogmatic for no apparent reason um I guess on the other side of this one if Marvin Hall or I'm sorry if Kenny Galladay is out which of those like kind of secondary uh Lions receivers would you consider for fantasy this week I mean I know Marvin Hall had the 100 yard game against Indianapolis a couple weeks ago didn't do as much on 53 snaps last week Washington fairly tough against receivers this year from a fantasy perspective and and Stafford hasn't been as automatic what do you think of these like kind of secondary uh pass catching options if Galladay's out well they should be as good as Stafford is and without Galladay if Galladay isn't out there then it would be I think a pretty like Marvin Jones would be the favorite but I don't think he would be far ahead in the projection of uh Danny Amendola I guess Hawkinson could do something against this team you know they got they got this good pass rush and they got a couple outside corners one who's definitely good and Kendall Fuller and then another who has had good results this year and is a former standout prospect in Ronald Darby but had been really bad before this year where incidentally he has a really good pass rush that might kind of just be making him look good mm-hmm. even if he isn't so a guy like Darby wouldn't be any worry for Jones I, I would be worried about Kendall Fuller, Kendall Fuller but he should only see him on like a third of his snaps at most something like that so if Jones can win then uh, I, I think we can take for granted in the inside Detroit has the advantage because Washington's inside linebackers are weird. It's like Kevin Pierre Lewis, who's been like a special teamer for six years. They got at safety Cameron Curl, who had been their main nickel corner for most of the year. He's a safety out of Arkansas. They have him playing the Landon Collins role with, uh, with Landon Collins hurt. They benched Troy Apke for uh, DeShazer Everett, who's also like a special teams guy. So they got like two special teams guys doing coverage in the middle of the field and then a rookie who was playing a lot of corner until two weeks ago. So D- uh, TJ Hawkinson should be able to get something going. Nice. Amendola should be able to get something going. DeAndre Swift could probably hurt them in that part of the field. Um, so I, I think you can feel good enough about Stafford, but I don't really see any of the receivers getting a big game going, if only because the outside is probably the toughest part of that pass defense. Okay. I, yeah, that, that's a good way of, of, of framing it. So it looks like the, the Lions might be more apt to attack the slot or the, or the seams, and that's where guys like Amendola and Hawkinson come in more so than guys like Marvin Hall and Mar- Marvin Jones, neither of which uh, – great at, at this stage I, I think marvin jones is one of the more underrated receivers of the last decade but uh, i think at current stage marvin jones being asked to be like the number one uh doesn't really yeah work all, all they that should well. just they should just put amandola on the bench put jones in amandola's spot and then have like cephas play outside something like or hall doesn't even matter more cephas it's, it's, yes yeah either one but um yeah i think stafford had a bad game last week in a way that didn't make much sense so if only because it's hard to 
see him. Well, I guess the disruption had something to do with it, but I, I would just be surprised if he had two unusually bad games in a row for by his standards. Yeah, with, with like, you know, kind of favorable matchups as well. Um, let's get on to Jaguars versus Packers. Packers heavy favorites in this one, as you can imagine. Uh, Gardner Minshew remaining out. More Jake Luton from the Jaguars. So, of course, again, Packers 13-point favorites in this one. The over-under has gone from 53 down to 50 now. I don't know if that's a reflection of if there's going to be some some weather up in Green Bay or whatever, or just the real the realization that the Jaguars probably aren't going to put up that many points in this one. Uh, their implied total just 18 and a half right now based off of the over-under and the spread. So what uh, what are your expectations for this game? That's a pretty big spread, like you, like you mentioned. And I kind of get it. Like Jake Luton had a pretty good game last week in the sense that I wouldn't really blame him for the loss. But I'm not really convinced that he can do that much either. I don't know how well scouted he was especially by you know a defense that lacks talent and lacks coaching merit like the the Texans just aren't a, a high test fell teams go even if you're a bad uh, prospect which I still consider Luton yep. but he played pretty well I just think he's he's very play action dependent and if you fall behind fast enough in a game the play action isn't really going to do anything because the defense won't look for the run if they're not playing the run and I know that I've seen, I've seen some analysis in the past that like how well you run the football has nothing to do with play action success. And it's like maybe you can jam enough uh, data into the sample to make it like just a, a you know meaningless kind of fluctuating line or something. But we can definitely definitely identify cases where if enough variables are isolated, we can see specifically um, you know like. The team is is breaking the deeps in the fourth quarter this particularly memorable way because they they keep they're tired they're leaning forward for the run they know the run's coming except this time it isn't and you see with the Titans especially last year it's like Tannehill it's like come on we know that Derrick Henry playing the way he does makes Tannehill get these setups that he does absolutely and so if if James Robinson can get going and if they can get going fast enough to to keep the the Packers from just running away with it then maybe they can keep Luton competitive. But if they have to just start going four or five wide, no play action, he's just going to start getting hit and fumbling, I think, or, or getting throwing hit when picks. he's throwing throwing interceptions because mm-hmm. uh, he needs that time to, to get his windup going and to, to, to get his uh, just, just set up anchor set up to, to, to lean his shoulders back and throw deep. And if he doesn't have that particular setup, I, th- I think it might go pretty wrong. So uh, James Robinson's good. He can run on this defense. It's just one of those things like, well, Rodgers – and, and the Packers offense score on like six play drives, get 14 points in the first quarter and, and just make it meaningless that Robinson, you know, maybe, maybe Robinson goes into the second quarter with like 45 rushing yards. Maybe he ends the game with with 65 because because Rogers has five touchdowns by the end. OK, yeah, no, that's a that's a good way of laying that out where, you know, Luton or the Jaguars are going to need to kind of keep that Packers offense off the field as much as possible. And, and having Robinson going is definitely a good way of going about that and and not and it also has the added benefit of protecting Luton a little bit not exposing him as much as he, as it would be if you're throwing him into obvious passing situations where Green Bay in their secondary uh is probably just going to absolutely feast on him I mean he's I mean he's got Luton's got like a Paxton Lynchian frame and wind up does he not uh, I 
I guess I can't remember Pax and Lynch well enough, but one thing that was funny is uh, the dimensions on Luton's background. I know he transferred from Idaho before Oregon State, but incidentally, he has almost the exact same build as Sean Mannion, the other uh, Oregon State quarterback who was way better at Oregon State than yeah. Luton was, and he still sucks in the NFL. So, um, yeah, I can see it going pretty badly for Luton. Like, I <clears throat> I don't know if he's capable of calibrating to speed like this in the NFL, and the Packers are going to give him some some – you know, challenging pass rush situations that he didn't see last week that I don't think he can really imagine before seeing. And if you don't, if you can't imagine it correctly ahead of time, you're going to be surprised on the spot. He's not an improvising quarterback, so I think it'll go badly. But I will say DJ Chark is really, really good. And on the plays that they do have the time and, and like the structure set up for uh, Luton to make the play action and for Chark to get like a good post route going, that's always going to be tough to stop because Luton can make that throw. Uh, that was the that was the kind of throw that he was making to Isaiah Hodgins a lot at Oregon State. But if it's not there, uh, I don't know if he can do much else. And I don't know if if they can get that set up though. I think Chark can make a catch on Jair Alexander uh, just because he's so much bigger and he is faster and, and can jump higher too. So I can I can imagine a play where Alexander's pretty tight in the coverage, but DJ Chark. Being 6'4", having a 40 vertical just kind of goes up and gets it. So I don't think you need to worry too much about him. Okay. But the, some of the, the rest of those Jaguars pass catchers probably not as excited about. But yeah, it's pretty hard to have much faith. It, like LaVisca does not fit with a quarterback like Luton. Like Luton needs time for a play to develop and, and LaVisca needs like a quick throw. Uh, I, I don't really like the setup for, for those receivers, even though I like most of them. No, ex- exactly. So it's just a tough spot. Um, on the Green Bay side of things, um, you know, the the obvious guys, Rodgers, Jones, um, Devontae Adams, that's all automatic in, in this spot. But uh, I continue to struggle with their secondary options in the passing game. Like Marcus yeah. Valdez-Scantling had the wide open touchdown last week and added another one on top of it. So the box score looked great but he also had some you know some bad plays in that game as well so I have a hard time trusting him I'm like counting the days until Alan Lazard gets back but it looks like it's going to be another week at least until that happens so I mean I think the problem with the the Packers offense and trying to get these secondary pieces is that Matt LaFleur is the kind of coach who goes into games specifically set on which players he's going to get the ball to. And he, he has these play designs designed to get those players the ball. And so if you're not in the plan, it doesn't really matter who you are or how good you are. And I, I think we've seen a lot of games this year where they have Marquez Valdez Scantling in the plan. Uh, basically because of no other options and he keeps kind of failing and the, the you might think like well Tanyan should get going then or maybe even Equinemius St. Brown should get going then and it's like no it just isn't in the cards this game like if Valdez Scantling has a bad game that's all that happens they, they eventually they'll go to Devante of course because he's there the whole time but it's like they, they get these play designs and, and you know the, the feeling that we have of like well, Tanyan had that big three touchdown game and then he disappears for two weeks like what's going on here it's like the, I think it's what's going on here is is uh, Lafleur is just making a choice and we don't know what it is before the game maybe we can guess right a bunch of times but if it's not Adams and it's not Jones then you have to just kind of guess uh who the who the third piece will be and most of the time this year it's been Valdez Scantling it's been Jamal Williams uh it's been Robert Tanyan but it's it's not really the kind of thing where someone can jump in just by hanging around and being talented it's like you need to be part of the game plan to be featured and, and it doesn't look like equinemius is so i think Valdez scantling will be that guy again here and i guess he could do fine because um 
I don't know. He is fast and big, but he's always going to be that guy who catches 48% of his targets and never goes over that. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, it's crazy frustrating again. Uh, yeah. To your point, 47.4 is the, is the catch rate for him. Uh, the a dot really far so you can forgive it to an extent but still um you know that those are just limited returns and i, I do feel like once lazard is back then then valdez scantling probably goes back yep. um, to, towards being a, a kind of afterthought for fantasy purposes um, let's move on to the texans going up against the browns browns three and a half point favorites in this one that line has moved from open up at two and a half now it's three and a half over under has dropped precipitously over the course of the week down from 54 now checking in at 49 in this one so uh, i guess is weather going to be a factor in, in cleveland like it was a couple weeks ago maybe is that driving down the um the over under um, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm pulling up this, this weather page and, uh, actually it looks like it's going to be really windy and cold and green Bay. So that should be interesting. I could imagine not to go far off track, but I can imagine that actually helping the, the Jags if it slows down Rogers through the air a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but in any case in the Cleveland game, uh, yeah, we do have a lot of wind there also. It's going to be looking like 20 or more, not as cold as green Bay, but that's the kind of wind where guess what? Baker Mayfield just can't play. And it's it's a problem because it, as much as I would say, yeah, Kareem Hunt, and if, if he's available and, you know, himself, Nick Chubb would run over this Houston defense. And I generally still feel that way, but I'm not as, as sure about it as I would be if it was like 12 mile per hour winds, you know. So I I think the Texans still just suck enough yep. that the, the Browns can – and the Browns, uh, you know, of course, being run dependent enough that that kind of plays into their their own uh, interest there. And then when I think about the Texans side, it's like, well, if Deshaun can't make downfield throws, that makes things pretty tough for him. And <clears throat> don't get me wrong, he can make some you know running plays. He he can make plays as a runner. We all know that, but he's not truly fast as a runner. So it's a different thing for Deshaun Watson to make you know break out of the pocket away from a defensive end and run for twelve yards when both of the safeties are 20 yards downfield. If the safeties are 10 yards downfield, Deshaun might just be kind of like running out of bounds after two yards mm-hmm. on that same play. So it, it can get pretty bad with him. I guess we got the Duke Johnson revenge game. I don't know what to make of him at this point. I still don't understand how he could be basically what his numbers are this year. So I'm pretty sympathetic to the idea that it's the Texans kind of screwing it up. But he's not really doing any better than David Johnson, who I'm pretty sure – is kind of just toast in, in most ways. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if Duke lost something. I mean, he did have injury trouble in college and maybe, maybe he just kind of will break down younger than some other running backs, but he, he would be in a good spot here if, if he is the player that I used to think he was, but I don't know if last week's Duke Johnson can do much here with, especially if Deshaun Watson as a, as a passing threat, isn't something that the, the Browns need to take seriously. Yeah, that that's huge. Um, we saw how weather can affect a game in Cleveland just two weeks ago. So um, if we have a similar thing going where uh, that downfield passing game for Houston is negated and, and Cleveland can focus a little bit more on the run, then that just kind of suffocates everything as far as Duke Johnson is concerned. And, and you know, there's just natural constrictions to that Houston passing game. Of course, like you said, on the other side of that one, Mayfield has basically no ability to play in adverse conditions. Yeah. Also, no OBJ. 
But there are two potentially, you know, big returns on tap this week. I mean, Nick Chubb, he's going to get his status determined on Friday. I can't imagine that he goes back to, you know, getting 20 carries or whatever right off the bat uh, coming off the MCL. But I think that if he, you know, if he's good to go, then he's going to see double digit carries. He's going to see, you know, a target or two here, here or there. And I think he can really do some damage against Houston um, with with even just a, a modest workload. So if he's back, I think you're firing him right back up. I guess Austin Hooper would be the other uh, name to to monitor, you know, having uh, coming off the appendectomy. Yeah, Hooper might do something in this game, if only because of the wins. Yeah, and as much as, <clears throat> yeah, and, and also like, uh, the, uh, well, I don't know what Stefanski's going to do. Stefanski has shown uh, a repeated insistence on trying to get Harrison Bryant going on these targets that are basically easier to catch t- passes on. And then he leaves like the harder uh, blocking type stuff to Hooper, which is insane. And a, a reason why I still don't take Stefanski seriously as a coach. <laughs> but I think that, you know, even, even if it's like a coin, even if it's like a, I don't know, like five target kind of thing for Hooper. And even if Stefanski wants to get this rookie, the skinny rookie catching passes instead. I think the bootleg play action sets up best with Hooper. And I can imagine Cleveland having a few of those in the red zone. So I I guess I just kind of like the touchdown chances for Hooper. Okay. And that's good enough. You know, you're not expecting him to have like the the PPR upside that he did a year ago. But if he can can find his way into the end zone, which I think the chances of that are fairly high, you know, again, with the weather and then with the lack of other um, options that big options in the red zone, I think that that definitely checks out as far as Hooper goes. So hopefully that that can come to fruition, assuming that he is, of course, active once again. Let's get on over to the Eagles going up against the Giants. Um, obviously, a, a rematch of that classic Thursday nighter from a couple <laughs> weeks ago. We, we had the Daniel Jones run in that game. Um, uh, we had... Richard Rodgers being fantasy. I mean, that was like at the nadir of um, the Eagles, like just just sheer lack of weapons on offense. It's gotten better since then. Like Rager has gotten back. Uh, they've gotten some tight ends back. But uh, at that time, like going into that game against against the Giants at, at Lincoln Financial a few weeks ago, I mean, that was like the most ragtag group of, yeah. of pass catchers you could surround Carson Wentz with. Yeah, it was pretty bad, and I I don't know if uh, the over-under I've noticed changed, by went up three and a half points. I don't know if any of that action has to do with uh, the, the suspicion that the prior over-under had none of these details in mind. I, usually they do have that. Usually they're way ahead of whatever it is that you're thinking about. Mm-hmm. Um, so I doubt that's really missing from the original over-under. I think um, as much as you can feel better about the the Eagles in this setting, it's something. It, it, it's another thing to think like, well, and also Daniel Jones is going to you know match him, match Carson Wentz in the Eagles offense because I don't really think he can. And I think the last time that these teams played, uh, obviously he had an okay fantasy outcome, especially from the running. But I thought that was itself kind of like a fluky one of the better case outcomes on the table for them. So okay. I can see Jones just kind of looking worse than the last time they played while the Eagles look better than the last time they played. And another thing to think about is it's easier for Daniel Jones to start looking like his worst self. If the Eagles score points more quickly because it, you know, raises the urgency, lets the Eagles get into a pure pass rush mode on defense. So that there's a way the Eagles can just run away with this, I think. And I, I definitely don't agree with like the spread 
decreasing, but I, I am also a Daniel Jones hater. So I don't know if I'm credible on that one. Yeah, fair. I mean, Daniel Jones, I think I saw a stat earlier this week that like Daniel Jones has played like two or had like two starts in which he didn't have a turnover and both of them came against the football team. The Eagles are not the football team and therefore he's probably going to turn the ball over again and that's going to be a problem. Yeah, and the Eagles the Eagles pass rush can get pretty nuts if if they really start going and the the Giants offensive line has been bad all year. I, I feel like this sets up more to be a blowout than an up much sooner than it would be an upset. Yeah, I I like that call a lot. Um as far as fantasy relevant guys, uh let's get into it on on the Eagles side. I mean, thoughts on on Fulgham at, at this stage and the, and then uh, Miles Sanders hopefully coming back. Well, I don't exactly want to bet against Fulgham because I think he's pretty good. But I do think a corner like Bradbury is the worst case scenario Man, for him. Who pretty has much. Had, who has had a bigger like cornerback glow up this year than Bradbury? I feel like I, I went from never hearing that guy's name. Where was he? Carolina before this. Yeah. And now it's like, yeah, dude, like going up against a, like you got to make sure he's not facing Bradbury. Yeah, I I think it's one of those things, and we have these these little. Uh, I, I don't think Bradbury is a flash in the pan because he was pretty good with the Panthers, but we do have these flash in the pan corners. Like I remember, uh, like three years ago, a bunch of people got themselves worked up about Rashawn Melvin, and it was like, no, he's just like there was the, so the, much he, evidence like against that. Like turn on the AFC divisional round from 2014 where Brady just picked on him repeatedly to come back from two separate 14 point deficits like Rashawn Melvin is a twig that was ridiculous the, yeah it was it was it was silly at the time and it was sure. but it like it had the same people were speaking with him like oh my god his his coverage grade or what, I don't know if it was a PFF thing at the time <laughs> or if people were doing a more primitive form of like splits obsession but like oh my god r- number one receivers against Rashawn Melvin can't do anything and that's because as it turned out the team was so bad at the other corner spots that the wide receivers two and three weren't covered really by anyone. So it wasn't <laughs> that they were throwing at, it's not like Melvin was locking these guys down. No. He was just like the 40th best corner on the league. whose second and third corners were the, you know, 150th best. So I, I don't, I don't know what to make of Bradbury as far as like, a, like, I don't think he's a Jalen Ramsey. Like if, if it was Fulgham against Jer- Jalen Ramsey, I'd be more quick to kind of say like, yeah, it's not happening this time. Mm-hmm. But against Bradbury, it's just a good to very good corner, in my opinion. The problem with, with Fulgham specifically is just like he doesn't really make separation. Uh, that's not even, even when he's winning. He doesn't really get away from his defender that much. It's just he's, he's making really good plays on the ball. And that's tough to do against Bradbury because Bradbury is one of the bigger corners uh, he's, he's kind of like a, I don't know, he's, he's, he's built like one of those old Seahawks corners, but he, he seems to kind of play man coverage better. Like he's not cover three dependent the same way they are. So, uh, he, he can at being like six, one, two ten or whatever. It's just, he's the worst matchup basically for Fulgham mm-hmm. aside from Ramsey or some, you know, mega corner like that. Like, I think it's worse for Fulgham to go against Bradbury than if it were going against Jair Alexander or someone who's at least smaller than him. Okay, yeah. So he wins by by physically dominating, and and it feels like Bradbury physically will will be up to that task and make his life a little bit tougher to to just be able to, s- to bully on the outside. Yeah, but in season long PPR, I would still generally keep Fulgham active because it's like he could get twelve targets, and it's it would be a win for Bradbury if he catches only fifty percent of those for like six yards a target. But that's still useful for the PPR owner because he's catching six passes. Exactly, exactly. Um, and then one more thing, Miles Sanders 
practices Wednesday. That's a that's a good sign. Um, I, I like the way that the Eagles manage the injury there. Um, you know, it it happened at the end of a run against Baltimore, misses the next two games, and then they have the bye in Week Nine. So I think this this should set up timeline wise for yeah. a return for Miles Sanders. And if he's out there, I love this matchup against the Giants. Yeah, I think it's a really good setup for him. If, if you have him, I, I think you should get your hopes up a little. Yeah, yeah, I'm in on that, and I, I have Sanders in a couple places, so ready for him to be back. And Chubb too. I mean, good lord, uh, it's been it's been a ridiculous year for running back injuries, and uh, we haven't gotten to Carolina yet. But McCaffrey being out again is just a cruel t- twist of fate once again. We'll get to that game coming up next, but before then, got a message from our friends over at Prop Swap. Smart sports bettors always know where to find the best odds before placing a bet, and that's why smart bettors use PropSwap. You can always find the best odds on PropSwap because you're buying directly from other bettors like yourself. See a ticket you like but think the price is too high? Submit a bid for a price you think is fair, then buy it. PropSwap sellers are always willing to negotiate, and we all know bookies never will. And for a limited time, our listeners can get up to $500 in bonus cash. Just use the promo code ROTO500. That's promo code R-O-T-O-500. And PropSwap will match your first deposit up to $500. Become a smarter sports better today. Go to PropSwap.com or download the PropSwap app. We also get a message from our friends over at BetMGM. We all know that football is back, but did you know that new customers at BetMGM can still get a 100% deposit match up to $500? Simply sign up and make a deposit with the bonus code ROTOWIRE to take advantage of this offer. There's never been a better time to get in on the action at BetMGM with a parlay, bonus payouts, live betting, daily boosted specials, and more. Don't let one minute of NFL action pass you by. Download the BetMGM app today or go to BetMGM.com and use bonus code ROTOWIRE to double your betting bankroll with a 100% deposit match up to 5 hundred dollars must be 21 or older and physically located in colorado indiana new jersey nevada or west virginia please gamble responsibly if you have a gambling problem please call 1-800-522-4700 in colorado or nevada and 100 gambler 1-800 gambler in new jersey and west virginia or 1-800-9-with-it in indiana promotional offer not available in nevada all right, let's get on over, Mario. We got the Bucks going up against the Panthers. I just mentioned Christian McCaffrey, you know, him having a shoulder injury after just getting back from that um, from that ankle injury. That that's a tough, tough break, and he actually had a, a very, very strong game in his return to action against Kansas City a week ago. So, if you held on to Mike Davis on the off chance that there would be a setback or, or something, kudos to you. Yeah, I guess. Uh... You know, he's going to have the same exact role as before. I don't know how excited to get about the offense and, you know, including him against this Buccaneers defense. I can imagine some people figuring, oh, the Saints showed the blueprint on how to beat them, something like that. I don't know if I really am inclined to believe that. I, I figure, you know, it was a bad look for the Buccaneers, of course, but sometimes teams have just inexplicable collapses even like really good defenses yeah fl- i'd say flush that game as far as the bucks were concerned like a terrible game of course and it's going to cost them because it's their second loss against the saints but i still think the bucks are one of the best teams in the nfc i don't think that they were necessarily exposed 
Sunday night. Right. It was like they they blew it, but they didn't really it wasn't like meaningful yeah. beyond that. So I, I figure this is a pretty tough spot for Teddy. I know that he's doing a pretty good job this year, and I know those receivers are quite good, but these corners are pretty uniquely built to withstand an offense like this one. And corners like Jamel Dean, especially like Jamel Dean, I, I, well, I guess it's going to be Carlton Davis might follow around uh, Robbie Anderson, but he might follow around DJ Moore. And I would say that Jamel Dean, the, the other outside corner, is perhaps the best corner candidate aside from, you know, the usual mega corner like Jalen Ramsey. It's the best corner to match up against uh, a receiver like Robbie Anderson, who is basically tall and fast. But Anderson gets into the slot quite a bit. Uh, Sean Murphy bunting is basically the same thing, though. It's like he's a you know six six foot six foot one one ninety five fast corner. So Anderson doesn't really have an angle on him either. And I don't say I don't bring this up to to say like I'm I'm worried that Moore and Anderson and Samuel will lose. It's just that they have to be at their very best to get much going in this setting, and it, it, that's just one of those things that's always a lot to ask, I guess. Yeah, no, that that, that definitely is. Um, I want to stick on, on Curtis Samuel for a moment because, you know, the first however many weeks of the season, like five or six weeks of the season, he's seeing, you know, target shares under 15% more often than not. And in the last three weeks, uh, you know, since that New Orleans game, uh, averaging about 20% of of the target share. So that, that has ticked up a little bit. So that's encouraging. And I think also, with McCaffrey being out, it opens up that ability for the Panthers if they want to get creative with Samuel like they did while McCaffrey was out and use him as a runner. I mean, he's effective in the red zone as a rusher. Like he can find the end zone that way. So I think there's a couple different ways that things could go right um, for Samuel in this one. And, and, you know, maybe by virtue of him not being like the or drawing the attention of a, of of like a Robbie Anderson or a DJ Moore that that maybe Carolina kind of zigs where where Tampa Bay would, would zag game plan wise and maybe use Curtis Samuel a little bit more this week. Yeah, so I was puzzled all year about why they were using Curtis Samuel in the slot, and I still am, but I at least can see a little bit more what they were thinking at this point. And the rushing game, like you're talking about, is specifically it him in the slot and in that position so that he could be this jet sweep. And I get it. Like he is a former running back. He he was literally a running back at Ohio State, and he isn't. Uh, like he, he's good at running, you know. Generally, so yeah, why not have him do that? The, the results have been good enough, I suppose. But I still think that DJ Moore is better at that task even than uh, Curtis Samuel, and Curtis Samuel is definitely better at getting open outside than DJ Moore is. But yeah, in the meantime, it doesn't really matter. They're not changing anything. Robbie Anderson is the number one receiver on that team. DJ Moore is the decoy type outside running the highest difficulty routes. And Curtis Samuel is going to play the slot, getting all the underneath targets because getting the underneath targets is how they make these ambiguous pre-snap looks with these plays that can otherwise turn into jet sweeps. So they're going with that. Uh, Everybody hoping for whatever it is from DJ Moore just need to readjust their expectations. And if you have Robbie Anderson, don't necessarily look to sell high or whatever because Matt Rule chose this outcome and there's no reason for it to change in the future it's not like they're gonna it's not like they're likely to add some prospect who's so much better that than dj Moore that they reassess robbie anderson's role it's like he's gonna be the guy there and Moore's just gonna have to do the the toughest task like that's just not really gonna change i guess that i guess it could change for more if samuel walks this offseason and then they more they move more into samuel's 2020 role at that point but until then it's we've we know what this team will do 
Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. That that definitely tracks as far as as that receiver hierarchy in, in Carolina is concerned. Um, I guess when it when it comes to Mike Davis, we know that he's going to get a ton of work, but we also know that this Buccaneers run defense is really really tough to move the ball against. If Tampa Bay builds a lead, then then you know his rushing upside goes out the window a little bit. He can still contribute in the passing game. Of course, I guess you you would need to be pretty wealthy at, at the running back or flex positions to not start Davis this week. But if you yeah. do have that luxury, I think this is a, a very tough matchup at the very least. Yeah, it's a tough matchup. Uh, I think I think there's enough injuries in bye weeks or whatever that uh, you'll probably want him active as a general rule. But if if you're benching him, it's probably because you're the favorite this week. I guess. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good way to put it. Um, on the other side, anything to glean when it comes to um, how that Buccaneers like target rotation came last week when they did have Mike Evans out there, they had Chris Godwin back in the fold, and they had Antonio Brown. Yeah, I don't know. I I thought that was a, a weird looking game. Like they didn't they didn't seem to do anything that they wanted to. So it's hard to tell what their you know normal typical game plan will look like. There's a lot of things you could imagine. I mean, I tend to think that Mike Evans and Chris Godwin clearly are the best receivers on that team, and so it it's to me would be kind of a median range outcome for them to just sort of generally speaking ex- exchange like the biggest game among those receivers on that team week to week maybe brown or miller or somebody pops up with similar numbers to whoever the lead is between evans and godwin but i generally will always expect it to be evans or godwin who leads the way and depending on how how well brady does overall that person who's that leader could have a big game in the process but if brady's doing what he did last week it just doesn't matter and um i I don't know why it fell apart the way it did like the saints defense is good and they've had some great moments actually at times over the past couple years um but it it would it still kind of sucked and it, it wouldn't be that shocking to me if trying to do this super team thing and having all these moving pieces just isn't as practical as tom brady hoped it would be and uh not that i'm blaming the loss last week on antonio brown or anything but it's just like they look like they didn't practice or something, and uh, that's that's strange. So I think they'll get it right here, but um, I, I don't know on what basis these receivers are going to pop up. And you can imagine them maybe even trying to kind of like justify the Brown signing by trying to get him going. Yeah, I, I mean, th- yeah, that seems a little one one less target than than um, Davis or I'm sorry uh, than Evans or Godwin last week. Yeah, and I mean, I, I I I can't prove that that's not going to happen, but I I guess it's it feels too speculative to me, and uh, I, I just I'm 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 talking about it this way because I've gotten questions from people about Brown, and they're like, should I play Brown over Godwin? And to me, that's not on the table. Like I I just would not do that. I don't think like even if Antonio Brown is is anything like the player he was at his peak, uh, he's it's still not necessarily going to be better than Godwin and Evans, you know, just if only because they've been there with the team and practicing all this time. It's like, I, I don't believe that a guy can just come off the street and be the best receiver in the league. And he would basically have to be that to come back and be better than receivers as good as Godwin and Evans, who are potentially both top five in the NFL. Like it's, it, we have to keep in mind how good they are. I don't think Brown uh, gets near their usage unless they're basically like shooting themselves in the foot, trying to get cute with him. Yeah, yeah, they're just try, trying to like overcompensate slash justify um, that signing because obviously you know there there's a lot 
politically that, that comes with that signing. So it was dumb. Like he's not better than Scott Miller, 32 year old Antonio Brown post uh, insanity. Antonio Brown is not better than Scotty Miller. And we know that because Scotty Miller was putting up great numbers. It's like, unless Tom thinks Antonio Brown is going to average like 12 yards a target, there was no point to that signing. You know, um, I, I was listening to another Rotowire football podcast uh, before uh, we, we s- sat down and started recording, and they noted that Brady, um, like the, those Tampa Bay struggles this year, have all come at, at night games, and they noted that Brady goes to sleep at eight thirty. <laughs> so, that, by virtue of this one being a day game, I think the Buccaneers blow the doors off them. If the, you know, if those fact factors are true, I mean, that, there's a Vegas it's game a, that it's Monday a noon night game. So uh, Tom Brady just had supper, or whatever. <laughs> he's, I don't remember how it goes. And he's got his post game warm milk ready to go for um, you know for for bedtime. He's got his uh, you know sleep stocking ready to rock, all that good stuff for you know a nice little five five o'clock. He loves his Werthers and his Walker Texas Ranger. Boy, does I mean I was I was so livid on, on Saturday night when um when the the dang presidential speech cut into the Notre Dame Clemson game and it it bumped Notre Dame over to USA. I'm trying to watch Walker Texas Ranger like I do on Saturday nights, and I'm just I'm at a loss. So I'm, I'm still just very very much reeling fr- from that incident. But I digress. Let's move on to another game. <laughs> Broncos, Raiders, nice little AFC West matchup here. Um, yeah, I, I have a hard time really knowing exactly what to think. I, I've like yeah, t- I've turned around on both of these teams. Like the AFC West, minus the Chiefs coming into this year, I've made this point before or made this observation, but it was just like unwatchable. I could not, you could not do enough to get me to watch the the Broncos or the Raiders or even the Chargers coming into this year. All of them are actually pretty pretty entertaining now, so it's become a fun division again. So I, I envision this one being a pretty fun game. Uh, this one, it's in Vegas. The Raiders favored by four and a half in this one. I don't really have a reason to go against the Raiders in this one, but I I, I guess I could also see where, where the Broncos get it done. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, it's tough. I guess we got to keep an eye on the Jerry Judy shoulder issue. I cannot claim to know what what the read is there. I, I haven't read deeper into that, but he didn't practice Wednesday. Hopefully, he gets in soon or whatever. Uh, Colton Miller for the for the Raiders is worth keeping an eye on. I see he didn't practice on Wednesday, but it seems like these teams are relatively knock on wood kind of healthy and. If they're both in their full forms, I feel like it's even then tough to know what's going on because I, I feel like um, there are some unique matchup details the way these teams collide here. Um, I guess you got to kind of like the setup for Josh Jacobs because as much as Drew Locke had a big game last week, I will give the Falcons nearly all of the credit for that. Yes. And it's, it's like Vegas's defense still sucks. So they're the same category as the Falcons where it's like Drew Locke can have a good game against you, but it's, it's not as much of a given in my opinion as if it were even like, you know, a Carson Wentz level quarterback or something like that. So I, I feel like the, the risk with Locke may be depending on who you're listening to might be a little underestimated. Cause I, he, he's, he's one of those guys that people just don't really have a solid grip on, but sometimes make these, these sort of, very optimistic takeaways like, Oh, he had this good game here and here. And he's, you know, this young and he's got these athletic pass catchers and it's like, he could still suck. Like there's, there's like some Gardner Minshew level, uh, ups and downs 
possible with these young quarterbacks. And so I'm, I'm not considering him like a turned corner unless he has a few more good games, I guess. So I, I, I worry about, especially if Judy's out or if he's limited. Yeah, no, then there's no Albert O. Fant is banged up with that ankle. Tim Patrick Wait, what happened with on the Albert? injury report with a hamstring. Like that's, you know, you, you need. Sorry, what happened with uh, Albert? Um, he he tore his ACL. Oh, really? My bad. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So yeah, it, Fant has to step up, and he probably will. Like, luckily those those um the, like the linebackers' safeties they're not frightening, and uh, Tim Patrick's been good all year. I, I don't know if he has a real good matchup on these guys, these corners, build wise, but Patrick's been playing well, and uh, he he seems pretty good. So. There's there's no real excuse for Locke to fail in the surrounding personnel. It's just that I, I do consider him more of that Bortles kind of quarterback than I do like an emerging uh, good young starting quarterback. And it, it, that could be unfair. Like maybe he'll turn out to be quite good. I, I just I don't feel like jumping in yet. Maybe the Ravens should have held on to Tim Patrick and not drafted Miles Boykin. <laughs> I guess so. I mean, should have had that foresight. Was, uh idiots he's pretty good at utah yeah. <laughs> um all right uh anything else to a- add on to this matchup uh I, I feel like Derek carr is in a good spot i don't know if i can trust him to decipher vic fangio's defense i, I definitely worry about fangio outsmarting carr in the setting but carr has had no issues as far as courage lately and that used to be a problem with him so uh you know henry ruggs will always be as fast as he is and if if carr is making use of his speed they should be able to get some advantages on, on the Denver coverage personnel, but it could also go badly because uh, Bryce Callahan's going to be tough in the slot, and if Carr is dependent on Renfro in any looks, uh, they they might get to him a bit there. So I don't know. I guess I'm staying away from this game, running games aside, mm-hmm. uh, and I guess I just mean Jacobs because I don't want to deal with that stupid Denver backfield. No, no. but uh, Jacobs should be in a good spot here, I guess. In, in most scenarios that I think through. Okay. All right. That, that definitely tracks uh, as far as Jacobs is concerned. Yeah. The, the, the Raiders passing game has been tough to time up um, a lot as far as like the non Waller entities. I mean, Nelson Aguilar has become a thing a little bit this year. Yeah. It's uh, pretty good. Uh, you know, Hunter Renfro had, was on the receiving end of maybe the best throw of the week last week where, where cars rolling out to his right and just whistles one, like you know, 40 plus yards in the air. Uh, to Renfro so I mean like anything can happen with with this passing game and it's really difficult to predict on on a week-to-week basis outside of Waller so you know while you know I I completely agree with you where like Ruggs has that tangent or that you know plausible upside any given snap and Renfro has that role out of the slot and all, all that good stuff you it's just been very difficult to to really pin down where exactly uh, it's Raiders a big want to cast. Go with it. Yeah, yeah. It's the opposite of the Packers or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that that makes it a little bit tougher for for fantasy purposes, of course. But it, I I still like um, the the direction that that Raiders offense is going, especially yeah. relative to to my expectations coming into the year. And coming up next, we got you know one of the biggest games of the weekend, a really interesting matchup in the desert between Buffalo. And Arizona, Buffalo obviously got off the the schneid last week. They took advantage of the soft matchup. You know, that that was kind of like the big question last week is can the Bills offense get right against the Seattle defense? It's giving up tons of yardage and points to everyone that they face. Buffalo checked that box. Now they got to go on the road against a Carolina team that, or I'm sorry, against a Cardinals team that, you know, coming off that surprising loss to Miami, maybe Miami needs a little bit more respect right now. Um, League wide, maybe that's not a bad loss after all. And I think uh, 
some of Kingsbury's uh, coaching decisions in that one maybe led to to that loss just a bit. But where are you on on this game and specifically like wh- where the Cardinals dire- are going direction wise? Well, this game could be a shootout. The over under went from forty nine to fifty six and a half. I don't know if I want to jump in on that exactly, but it makes sense because the Cardinals are up tempo. If Kyler Murray's moving the ball and scoring points, then the Bills have to match that tempo. And Josh Allen can, of course, go nuts in that scenario. But I am a little worried about the Arizona offense because Sean McDermott is a really good defensive coach. And I don't think I would consider Cliff Kingsbury more than an average offensive play caller schemer generally so if buffalo gets a lead then we go to their tempo rather than the arizona one and they tend to play up tempo but i don't know if they would play up tempo specifically if they should stumble into a lead and maybe they go lower tempo just to kind of keep arizona's offense off the field and make make the clock run out protect the lead a little bit so i don't i don't know if buffalo will go quite the way they did last week i don't I'm not not as convinced that Kyler matching punch for punch the Buffalo offense as I am Russell Wilson. And so I'm not taking that same urgency on both sides for granted. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the other worry is these these two defenses use like plenty of disguise coverages and stuff like that. And these are not two of the more convincing quarterbacks against disguised coverages for me. So I could see it going a little bit off. Um, or at least there's like some turnover risk, some sputtering risk, um, as much as there's a, a huge possibility for explosive plays on both sides. So, uh, I don't know. It's, it's a bit combustible and, and ambiguous of a matchup to me, I guess. Yeah. I'm, I'm really excited for this one. It'll be one of those better, um, afternoon showdowns looking forward to it. Um, yeah, it, it can go a lot of different ways, like you said. And I, I think I am interested, um, with the way that the, uh, the total in this one has ballooned up to 56 that that you know I might want to want to go against that grain a little bit I think you bring up a good point where these defenses versus these young younger quarterbacks maybe run into some issues there some speed bumps and, and maybe keep that this um, you know what what could be on paper a, a very high scoring game maybe keep it under that 50 I mean 56 is a really high number to, to be yeah playing, so yeah, and I feel good about the Bills side, but um, yeah, Murray's he's Sean McDermott knows everything that they do. I, I can guarantee he knows what's coming, and so for them to to get really blindsided the way like or you know overtaken the way Seattle did, I just don't really see that happening. Okay, all right, that, that's an important detail there. Of course, let's go over to Chargers Dolphins, Tua versus Herbert. I mean, this is great. I mean, this is, I'm so excited for this one. It's down in Miami. Um, Tua's got his legs under him a little bit now. It was shaky in his first home start, of course, but, but, you know, really looked to have turned a corner last week, potentially, and obviously still very early. Herbert, obviously one of the uh, kind of budding young stars in the NFL. I mean, every single week he's making exciting plays. I guess one thing that I'm really kind of perplexed by or or was perplexed by uh, when watching the Chargers last week is is their run game. I know that they don't have a ton of healthy bodies right now, and that explains the the Balage usage. But <laughs> I mean, man, like what what's going on with that Chargers run game? Um, I don't know. I I haven't watched all of their games that closely, so I I can't say. I, I remember from earlier in the year thinking that Josh Kelly looked good. Yeah, and did. then I see that, and then I see this quote from Anthony Lynn about how he's running tentative or even scared or something like that, and. I thought, if anything, he was kind of the opposite. Like, I thought if, if Kelly had an, uh, some sort of a criticism to be made earlier, it was that he was kind of running with blinders on and just going like a hand. He was running like he was Gus Edwards. Yeah, which you, yeah. can only, you can only do that if you're Gus Edwards. Um, he 
he was uh, running with big motor and like running into defenders at really high speed, stuff like that. But uh, Troy Main Pope pretty clearly ran ahead of him two weeks ago, and Troy Main Pope looks like he's going to play. So even though Justin Jackson is out, I don't feel comfortable about Josh Kelly getting the opportunity to outproduce Kalen Balaj because that's basically what happened last week. Like I, the way I think biased against Balaj as I am, that if you had given those opportunities to Kelly, you would have had the exact same outcomes or better. But the coaches don't think that way. They only remember what just happened and they remember thinking, I'm, I don't like what Kelly's doing. Balaj, he's, he's doing a good job in practice, working hard. So they start to, you know, think like, oh, we got to do, you know, the guy who practiced better this week and that's Balage. And it's like what they as coaches don't know is you're just you're just seeing how big and fast Kalen Balage is and you're being impressed by the fact like every other, you know, coach before him has looked at him and been like, wow, he's big and fast. Let's get him on the field. It's like, oh, he doesn't know how to run, though. <laughs> and that's that will become apparent again as the sample increases. Like, even with the Dolphins in his rookie year, he had that like 70 yard touchdown. And I had people, you know, saying like, oh, he's got, you know, t- he's 230 pounds, averages this many yards per carry. And it's like his other 29 carries had 35 yards or something. <laughs> and it's like that's that's just the kind of player Balage is. Um, usually, I guess to be fair, it's like maybe he got a little better. It's possible. And he is a great athlete. I never meant to deny him that. But if I'm if I'm betting, then um, I'm betting on him failing eventually. But I think it'll take enough time in the game for that to happen that Kelly won't get an opportunity to capitalize on the fact. And Pope being involved is just like another reason for me to stay away entirely. What about Gabe Neighbors, man? He's a fullback, isn't he? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> apparently he's the he's the man now in that team. I don't know. I don't know. I just remember hearing his name a bunch last week and being like, huh. I, I was like, that sounds that like a friendly guy. Yeah. And then, like a fun spoonerism, like Nabe Gabers or something. I don't know. That's all I got to add to the to this Nate game. Nabe Gabers. <laughs> Let's go. Um, or we got to talk about the Dolphins side a little a little bit more oh. here. Um, so their backfield is a mess and Preston Williams is on IR. So that, that we could use a Kalen Bellage right now. Mm, couldn't they? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know what to make of that ridiculous backfield. Uh, Preston Williams being out kind of sucks, but I think you can feel pretty good about Devonte Parker in this setting. I know he hasn't been great lately. i not fully healthy. People probably are a little bit afraid of the Chargers defense, but uh, Michael Davis is the best corner on that defense now. It's not Hayward. If he's on Hayward, that's that's an advantage for uh, Devontae Parker. And as we've seen, Devontae Parker is one of those guys who can win the same way Travis Fulgham does. It's like even if he's covered, he's still way bigger than the corner. So and he doesn't need to slow down or anything. Like he's he's running a four four five himself. So I like Parker's chances eventually. And this is a more of a long shot thing. I guess Jakeem Grant is kind of the de facto favorite to step up with Preston Williams hurt, but they got Antonio Callaway on their practice squad. I don't know how long he's been around there, but it looks like they might call him up and you can't start him or anything, but I think there are some leagues where you might want to, if you have nothing going on on your bench, you might want to consider picking up Antonio Callaway because he could step into that second receiver role. If he's got his stuff together and he, he probably does not. He seems like he's a real head case, but <laughs> if he does have his stuff together, he's very talented and true. he could actually emerge as like, not that I'm predicting this, but if Antonio Callaway has his stuff together, I would not be surprised if he's the wide receiver two on that team next year instead of Preston Williams because Callaway was a blue chip kind of talent. He absolutely was. Okay, let's let's uh, move on over 
to uh, the Saints going up against the 49ers, a matchup of the classic uh, regular season game a, a year ago. The 49ers, it feels like they have absolutely zero of those players still available who for this they? one. I mean, yeah, it, I don't even know who the 49ers, it's the replacements, the entire team. Yeah, I mean, they, it would be pretty cool if they got Keanu Reeves uh, back in uniform for this one or something. Keanu Reeves as the replacements quarterback, also as John Wick, going up against the <laughs> <laughs> Um. Anyway, so the Saints... I love mixing cannons. I love universe uh, collisions like that. Yeah, Keanu, it's, it's Keanu great, contains all the multitudes, my man. So I can I mean, kill you 50 ways with a football. <laughs> <laughs> a freaking football. Um, so, Niners Saints, though. Saints heavily favored in this one. Nine-point favorites here. I mean, is this a spot where the 49ers, like, is this like the inflection point where, yes, they have coaching and, you know, some some moxie and all that, but at a certain point, when you don't have able bodies, it just, it all just kind of falls apart and you get the the reality check that you're just one of the worst teams on paper in football. Yeah, there's, there's that momentum. And then the only thing that's like slowing it is the possibility of the Saints looking ahead a week and not showing up. So it's a risk, I guess, but the Saints are more so known for coming out sleepwalking early in the year. They tend to, Sean Payton tends to, for whatever reason, get them better as the year goes along. So um, there's still plenty at stake for the Saints, even though it's like what should be an easy game. So I I don't exactly expect them, like I can imagine them goofing off the second half or something, but Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't think they'll, uh, I don't think they'll show up and, and let the 49ers like punch them in the face or anything. No. And I don't think even if, if they did, the 49ers would, would pack enough of a punch with, with, with the haymaker to, to really make it, make it hurt. So yeah, I, I think that this one ends up being a snoozer um, as well. Um, you know, Michael Thomas is back. So, you know, green light there. Um, I guess, you know, to indulge ourselves a little bit as, you know, big mid decade college DFS guys, are we buying Richie James as as like a streamer? <laughs> I guess if he's on the field, there's something there. I don't. I'm still pretty skeptical of him as a prospect. Like, I think he. I wouldn't be surprised if he's a a useful player for some team or another. He, I mean, he was very productive at Middle Tennessee, but the other thing is he was over aged kind of for his for his experience level. He was one of those guys who was like at least 22 his senior year. Mm-hmm. So he I remember he went nuts as a redshirt freshman, but he was actually as old as a third year player his redshirt freshman year. So that was kind of some of the explanation with James and I think his big game last week was kind of just like further evidence of look what happens when Kyle Shanahan decides that you're going to get involved this week because he was basically playing the setups that go to Ayuk and Debo and because no one else could, because Trent Taylor couldn't and Ayuk wasn't out there or uh, uh, Bourne wasn't out there, that I think it was just like, you know, this this is this is just a case. This is the hypothetical that we wonder about. Like, could Kyle Shanahan make a mailman uh, get 100 yards in an NFL game? And not that Richie James is a mailman, but I do think he's more like a wide receiver four in the NFL. Like, I, I wouldn't rank him ahead of somebody like Jakeem Grant or something like that. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. And, and I mean, like Collinsworth was kind of alluding to that during the broadcast last week where it's like, are we at a like, can we say with, with absolute certainty that Shanahan doesn't kind of just love the the idea of just trying to make it work with like these guys that would be a practice squad or, or just deep bench reserve guys on, on other teams and, and, you know, somehow getting production out of them? 
Yeah, I mean, uh, he hasn't had a choice, so I doubt sure. he really likes it or anything. But uh, I think it was just, I think it was just him. You know, he, he had not much to work with. He made it work as much as it could, and look, it wasn't it wasn't all that useful. They weren't really competitive in the game. It was it was kind of just garbage production. And so, uh, but Richie James can do some things, and he's he's definitely way ahead of Trent Taylor. I would I think he's better than Kendrick Bourne, but I also kind of have a lower opinion of Kendrick Bourne than most people. I yeah, guess. I, I, Kendrick Bourne does not excite me whatsoever. J- James at least has some electricity to his game. I feel like the open field. I'll uh I'll probably have a DFS lineup with Richie James, but I'm I'm not like starting him in a, in a season long or or anything like that. If you have to, I wouldn't. You know, I wouldn't be worrying about that. I bet there's I bet there's a bigger problem in your life, even if you have to start Richie James this week. Amen. Amen. All right, Seahawks Rams. This one sets up really nicely. This will be a, another really fun game. It's gonna be tough to like divide my attention. Sunday afternoon between Bills Cardinals, yeah. Chargers Dolphins, and Rams Seahawks. That, that feels like a loaded, you know, early window. But this is this is late. This is crazy. We'll take it. Um, so again, this one is in Los Angeles. The Rams one and a half point favorites in this one. Uh, you know, in, in over like the last two years or so, I would have given the the edge to the Seahawks like bl- blindly. But I, I'm I'm at the point now where their defense is enough of an issue where. I can't really give them that cachet as much as I'm completely sold all the way on, on the offense. Yeah, I hear you. And the, I, I, I tend to believe actually the defense is better than it looks, but they're still beat up. Like we got, um, I guess it's not a concussion anymore for Shaquille Griffin, but his hamstring kept him out of practice Wednesday. Quentin Dunbar didn't practice Wednesday. I know people think Quentin Dunbar is not that good or whatever, but the Seahawks defense sucks the way it has lately because Griffin isn't out there. And when one of Dunbar or Griffin is off the field, then the whole pass defense is useless because Trey Flowers can't do anything on the other side. But if Dunbar and Griffin are both out there, I think they become pretty good. And I I think Carlos Dunlap is going to be a, a big change that defense. It, it wouldn't be surprising to me if Alton Robinson and Rasheem Green got going a little bit. The linebackers should have been like, – they've been kind of good at linebacker despite – these other struggles but if Dunbar and Griffin are hurt it doesn't really matter the corners suck in that case have any of so, their um defensive first round picks from the last couple of years done anything the the Texas Tech linebacker and the TCU he's been a, the, the, the Texas Tech guy has been on the field a little bit but he's he's playing basically a third he's playing a backup role until one of Bobby Wagner or KJ Wright leaves the team sure. uh, they're both good in the meantime uh lj collier is playing like the red bryant role so uh that's that's one of those things it's like he gets 10 tackles in one sack a year and i look at that and i think that doesn't strike me as useful but pete carroll apparently appreciates something about it i don't know what i i think that was just a terrible pick and it was they're forcing him on the field to try Mm -hmm. to justify it which they can't there needs to be you know as an aside there needs to be more dudes named red just in general, and also in NFL football. Yeah, more more colors generally. Mm-hmm. Uh, Blue's a good name, I think. Yeah, there's uh, a guy on Cincinnati, the college na- named Blue Smith, and he's pretty cool. So that's a, that's a quality name. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah these these are these are some mid tier names we got here, uh, especially with these with these Seahawks backup cor- cornerbacks. Uh, so I, I, if Dunbar and, and Griffin aren't out there, then they can't cover in traditional coverage. The, these Rams receivers and when you put in the McVeigh factor of the trickery they especially would not be able to cover these guys so I, I, I 
I at once still am too skeptical of Jared Goff to really want to go head first at the Rams offense. Uh, and I guess we got to keep an eye on this Cooper Cup thing. Like if he's limited, that's that's a that that hurts them because he's he's always a crutch. Like he's always the thing that's supposed to keep it from really sinking when Goff turns into himself. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, they're they're going to need Goff to do something. They're they're going to need points on offense for the Rams to to keep um, you know keep. I feel like Goff from falling apart even against a bad defense. Uh, but if that defense is beat up the way it is, they should be able to do it, especially with McVay's trickery. And um, I guess I, I don't know what to make of this Daryl Henderson quad thing. It doesn't look great. Mm-hmm. Like if he's if he's missing practice at the start of a week with a quad thing, uh, regardless of whether it's like a strain versus a bruise, it's like I guess you prefer the bruise. But it sounds like it might be a bad one if it is. And that stuff can take a few days and maybe they're not practicing by the time he's he's ready. I don't know. Cam Akers should pop up again. And I guess this is a pretty good setting for him to do it if Henderson is limited or out. Mm. So yeah, if he's available, I would definitely in a lot of leagues try to get Akers if he was dropped because uh, obviously he's been a bust for the people who took him in the fifth round or whatever, but he's still the same prospect he was before. It's just certain other things haven't fallen yeah he's just he's not getting the opportunities and i don't think that mcveigh is wrong in the way that he's handling that backfield like henderson and like maybe you could argue that that acres should be getting snaps over malcolm brown but like it's pretty clear to me that henderson is when healthy is the best running back that they have right now yeah in in he's he's definitely doing a good job so um yeah the brown thing is weird but i i guess you know mcveigh is good enough as a play caller that i some coaches all I guess most coaches I will question uh, in, in very uncharitable ways, but McVeigh, I'm willing <laughs> to give charm. some benefit of the doubt, I guess. Sure, absolutely. All right, let's get on over. We got Bengals, Steelers. Steelers uh, giving seven in this one. They're playing at home. They're coming off, uh, you know, one of the more uh, flat-footed, just kind of sleepwalky performances that you'll see from a competitive team. Uh, you know, really almost lose it, like legitimately almost losing to the Cowboys. Um, just kind of unbelievable. Like this stage of Cowboys that, that that's even a game is crazy. Uh, you know, that the narrative that the Steelers always play down in their competition, hard to discount it after, after that one. Uh, I'll say that that a narrative. I didn't realize that I was, I thought they were going to clobber Dallas and, uh, I don't know if it was like a vanilla defensive playbook or what, but the, the defense just was not rushing gilbert enough i know they, they ended up hitting him like nine times but that was just because gilbert is so slow to process and just it, it was eerie watching that guy play because he, he made some nice throws and he's like you know he's he looks poised in a certain way but he had no idea of what was going on and his accuracy was was fleeting at best so i mean you know you uh, know this at, at one point in time he was supposed to be the next big thing right yeah he was like a five star at texas um so yeah that that uh like, like you saw that would made him a good recruit. Like it was like, yeah, he looks like Mr. Touchdown USA. And that was a, a pretty far distance throw he made there uh, with a nice velocity. And then it's like he called plays two and three and he, you know, just just ends up uh, just getting clobbered mm-hmm. a bunch of different ways while the ball. It's like he makes a pretty wind up and the, the film starts to slow down and the camera tilts toward the sky as you see the ball go in a beautiful spiral. And it just kind of like hits some guy in the head on the sideline. And that's what Garrett Gilball is like. So uh, it was alarming that the Steelers didn't do better than they did. But I also have to just if maybe it's just laziness on my part, but I don't care. I have to take this as, as basically like the Steelers equivalent of the Tampa Bay offense and defense just completely falling apart against the Saints. 
I almost view it as if, you know, since that happened with the Steelers, it's more likely even yet that they just obliterate the Bengals. And I don't trust that Bengals offensive line just because they went one week without falling apart. And I don't think the Steelers are a bad pass rushing team just because Garrett Gilbert only got hit nine times. So I can see them hitting Burrow 15, 16, 17, 18 times in this game. And I actually like them to cover their original 10 points. Okay. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, the, the line has drifted more towards the Bengals, like you alluded to just there. I, you know, again, maybe this makes me a square donkey, a square shaped donkey, what, what have you. But I, I just think that there is that chance where the Bengals are able to keep this one close because the, the Steeler, like I can definitely see that blowout outcome of co- of course as well. I mean, they could completely fold up the, this Bengals offense with, with TJ Watt and company just rushing the passer and just crushing Burrow all day. But at the same time, I don't know. There's something in me that, that thinks that the Bengals could make this one somewhat competitive. It's, it's like this, this could be one of those games that like the Bengals look, look back on as they get ready for net, as we get ready for next season, and we start to like sell ourselves on the Bengals being, you know, a, a competitive team come next year, and and a, a putting up a good fight in Pittsburgh would, would be one of those like anecdotes to point to. Whether that's firm and good analysis or not is you well, know, not that is bad. So it can happen. It's just um, I'm worried about Burrow not having anything close to a fair shot. Whereas yeah. Ben, he's going to be, you know, on his his his. Uh, his little lazy he's in his boy hover around. Yeah, he's he's having a snack, terrible pass, but it's like just out of you know it's 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 to, to James Conner and he gets him 15 yards and a first down, leaves the game to pretend to be hurt for a while, comes back, gets a nice 10 point cover. They need to they need to like get one of those like cryotherapy chambers like right on the Steelers sideline or just like or just put Ben in like an iron lung or something on the sidelines because it, like he wants to really like show I want to how see ben in an iron is. lung getting lifted with a, a a crane like Homer in the uh, water park tube yeah <laughs> and then they and just I'm, start and I'm doing and they just start playing renegade and like the crowd goes absolutely ballistic yeah uh, I was picturing the booing caption just oh. like Ben Roethlisberger in an iron lung high in the sky and just lots of people booing him. Oh, but that that if if it's the fourth quarter and it happens that way, then then yes. The, oh, he, they're like the choppering him in an iron lung and they drop him in the stadium like the first episode of uh, 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 Metalocalypse. Yes. See, that that's more <laughs> along. the line. Yeah. So that like just like, you know, or or like sting coming from the rafters or, or you know, okay, yeah, yeah, that yeah. sort of thing. But. With Ben, it's just an iron lung. Um, one more thing uh, on the Steelers. Um, obviously, this is a really good setup on paper as far as like the the run game and, and of course the these receivers. What do you? Where are you with James Conner right now? Because in, in one sense, he's running like it's 2018. Like his yards per carry has been very effective the way it was um, his first year as the starter, and it you know. I'll, almost a half yard better than it was a year ago, but he's not as involved as a pass catcher. And Roethlisberger was the quarterback in 2018 as well. So I'm just trying to like understand where like Connor keeps coming up short fantasy wise yeah. in situations where he shouldn't. Well, 
I, I don't know. It's a tough one because I feel like they might switch back to some of those looks. But I think in the meantime, it might be as simple as they're not making those same looks. So the play isn't there for Connor. And I wonder almost if they've I don't have any numbers and I haven't looked close enough to really even investigate it. But I wouldn't be surprised if he's basically either blocking on passing situations that he didn't used to or he's just not getting the same uh, types of targets. And I think about some of those Connor catches over the years and some of them are definitely sort of like arranged for him. Like it almost seems like the play call was set up a screen for James Connor kind of thing, which is different than James Connor running a route and incidentally getting open over the course of a play. And maybe the first thing isn't there anymore. And maybe he doesn't do the second thing very much. I'm not really sure. But one thing I got to say is um, they were using Anthony McFarland earlier in the game last week, including in passing situations. Mm -hmm. So I think he's well ahead of Benny Snell. And if they're using Anthony McFarland in pass catching situations, then that's the kind of thing that's going to make me worried for uh, Connor, too, because it basically is the Steelers indicating that he's becoming that McFarland is becoming good at something that we didn't previously have reason to think he was good at. True. And if he's if he's better than he was than the last time we assessed him, then maybe the whole thing has recalibrated somewhat. And uh, if, if he gets, exactly expect him to fail. So I'm. Um, I would add McFarland in some leagues if you got a useless roster spot because it wouldn't be it wouldn't be surprising to me if he's kind of like the Cam Akers this week of next week. Not that I'm predicting a Connor injury, but just that kind of thing where it's like he has ten carries, so everybody is is like, oh, you gotta pick him up. He's the only mm-hmm. guy worth picking up this week. It's you know it's week eleven. Everything sucks now. No one's getting opportunities. This is the best you can do. But you'd rather get him for cheap now than paying like $25 fab just to get a dud probably the next week. Right. Yeah, you don't you don't want to tie Johnson yourself when you don't have to. Don't tie Johnson this. Yes, please do. Yeah. If if I can imbue one piece of advice, it's simply that. Um let's go over we got the night games and then we're finishing up. We got Ravens, Patriots and then Vikings, Bears. Start Ravens, Patriots is in Foxborough. I don't care. I, don't. <laughs> I mean, it won't. It might not be pretty on the Ravens side, but I'm sorry. I don't think Cam can do anything here. Like, the, I guess. Well, Humphrey out might make no, it a little be, different. Humphrey's back. Oh, he's back. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. Never mind. <laughs> back to the. I don't know what Cam can do. I don't know what, what's fair to expect here because Jacoby Myers seems good. I don't. I don't think there's. I don't think he's like a, a totally fraudulent player or anything, so, but so that so you don't think that that was like a so function of the Jets? Well, it helped. Don't get me wrong; it really helped. But it, I'm I'm kind of like giving him the benefit of the doubt because he was a productive player at North Carolina State sure. after he moved from quarterback, and he did well as a rookie too. Like I, I was actually kind of surprised by that Sanu trade, if only because it knocked Myers out of the lineup, and I, I didn't really understand what the point was. It turned out there wasn't one, and now Myers having two good games in a row kind of makes me just think like, man, maybe maybe he was just pretty decent the whole time. The, the, the problem with him was he plays the same position as Edelman, so they couldn't really get him on the field. Um, so Edelman being out, he's out there now, but he's just to run against Humphrey? Like, that's not that's not great. <laughs> I don't really like that. So I, I feel like if, if Myers isn't going, I don't know what does in this Patriots offense. Like, we don't even know if Damian Harris is going to be right or available. So... I don't know what Cam can possibly do. I just think, you know, if you go Bourbon Bowl as the Ravens, you'll eventually get the win here. Okay. Yeah, I could I can see that. Um 
Yeah, the, it's it's just really, really tough on, on the offensive side for the Patriots right now. Hasn't necessarily been smooth sailing on the uh, Ravens side either. Right. Uh, they ran the they hell out of the ball to... against Pittsburgh, couldn't really get it going at all last week. And there there is the famous quote from Lamar Jackson saying that teams are calling out their plays like on the field. So, I mean, like, did you have any reaction to that? And then just kind of like, you know, trickle, you know, trickle it down. Like, you know, can you see where, where Jackson was coming from in that sense? Yeah, I can see where he's coming from. I don't know that it means anything especially new. Uh, Like, I I think you can do better than Greg Roman as much as I was always, you know, a a fan of Lamar Jackson as a prospect and a fan of him going into each of the last two years. That's not because I thought Greg Roman was such a great offensive coordinator. I I view Roman as a non bad offensive coordinator. And I think like 80% of the coordinators in the league are bad, but I don't think he's exactly good. I think it was Lamar and his talents propelling that offense. It wasn't like the scheme. I I think if you put Brian Dable on the Ravens, the, the Ravens would start scoring like, I don't know, 30 points immediately. Hmm. But in the meantime, they don't have like an ups. They don't have an advantage in the scheming. And I think basically these, these things that Lamar is talking about have been happening all along. It's just that in the past or last year, you could call it out. You couldn't stop it. Right. Last year it was like, they'd call it and it'd be like, Oh, well, you know, Yanda's blocking too well. Stanley's blocking too well. Uh, we're just running the ball too much. They, they can't, get the down and distances they need to get leverages with these these certain reads that they're talking about it's like they would call it out before and Lamar wouldn't really notice because they they'd make the play anyway Mm. and until like I think some of it has been adjustment to Andrews and Brown being the only threats like some adjustment has definitely happened and that that's that's something that the Ravens didn't have anything to counter with and so I think that's that's part of the drag but that's part of that's part of Roman's career too you know, like the, they yeah, were, so. they went medieval on people in 2012 with their run game, and they were ju- they were basically just as good in t- in 2013. I'm talking about San Francisco, but mm. you know, eventually that offense stopped like shocking people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I I think something similar is happening here. I I still, with that said, believe that if they just got Duvernay going on the left side, that that would solve a lot of the problems. I think I think that same scenario of the defender saying, this guy's doing this, this guy's doing this, ha- it happens. But it doesn't matter because even if they know what it, the play is, it's just harder to stop when there's an extra threat. Uh, three threats is always more difficult to stop than two. So I, I think these things combining are, are like s- snowballing into this sort of outcome. But I, I don't think the solution is like, blowing up the whole thing i think it's like you just need to add a detail or two and make the defense have to note that detail and process it and respond to it and until you can they're just going to sit on these other things because why would they care like they're not going to imagine in their heads some threat that isn't there so uh yeah i don't see it really getting better um i I still think if they put duvernay out there it'll get a, a little bit better but it's it's uh it's something I have less faith in in light of the Ronnie Stanley injury because that's a huge loss. Yeah, I think that the Stanley injury, like I've I've felt pretty clearly since since week three with with the Chiefs game that like the Ravens weren't going to win the Super Bowl this year. But like if there was any sort of glimmering last hope, it went out when when Stanley hurt his ankle. Like that that probably. was kind of the, the kill shot. I thought. Yeah, probably because that part of what made the defense unable to stop what they knew was coming last year was because of the blocking of Stanley and Yanda. And 
losing Yanda, that's one thing. Maybe you can patch that up, but you can't patch up both of them at the same time. No, no. And, you know, they they had a rookie uh, filling in on, um, and who hasn't been bad, Tyree Phillips um, filling in for for Yanda this year. And then, you know, with with Stanley being out, you know, you got, I guess they flipped Orlando Brown to the left side, and then they've got... um, Whichever uh, former Alabama guy, DJ Fluker, maybe uh, playing oh, the, other, really? okay. uh, the other tackle spot. Um, but yeah, it's definitely not as imposing of an offensive line when you take out a Hall of Famer like Marshall Yanda, and then of course like a, an All Pro level uh, left tackle uh, like Ronnie Stanley. So yeah, I, I don't like the Ravens' ceiling as far as uh, this season is concerned, and. With no Tom Brady, I mean, for me personally, this game has a lot less juice that, than it normally would. <laughs> I, I would be so excited for this game on any other year, but oh, yeah. no Brady. Uh, just uh, I can't get as as jazzed up for it on, on Sunday night, but I'll still watch it, of course. Edwards, Edwards and Dobbins eventually take it if necessary. I, I just think the Patriots run out of energy to even really resist. Yeah, <laughs> Bill's just like, all right, whatever. Um, okay, Vikings, Bears to, to round things out. This is a tough one because the, the Bears can, you know, they, they can beat pretty good teams. Um, and the, the Vikings, they've shown, some, you know, they, they looked like literally one of the worst teams in football the first three weeks or so of the season have kind of gotten things back on track where if you squint hard enough, they look like, I don't know, like a seven and nine team or something. Dalvin Cook playing at, at you know, in what would formerly be considered an MVP level now is just a quarterback award. So that that's out the window, of course. But uh, you got Justin Jefferson coming on. You got Irv Smith coming on in addition to Adam Thielen continuing to cook. So, I mean, there's a lot of pieces on this offense for the Vikings that, that you can be encouraged by. And there's a lot of um, ineffectiveness on the Bears offense, specifically with, with Foles in that offensive line that, that puts a very, very low ceiling on what the Bears can do offensively. So I don't expect the Bears to be able to score that much or, or at least like um, really expose the Vikings' defensive flaws just because the Bears are so shorthanded on the line and with, with Foles back there. It just it, it it limits the effectiveness of guys like Allen Robinson or, or a guy who I think you and I both believe in a fair bit in Darnell Mooney or even Anthony Miller. Yeah, so I would normally yeah defer to the to the vikings kind of having the quarterback advantage the the receivers that they do irv smith dalvin cook that's that's a lot and it might be too much for the bears defense but i wonder you know going to chicago leaving that dome going to chicago it shouldn't be that cold but it's you know it's not a dome it's and it's it's not like a fun field to visit exactly we've seen cousins in chicago on monday nights before it's not great yeah, so there's there's reasons to worry about the Cousins part to this to such extent that you worry about, well, do Thielen and Jefferson and Irv actually become factors in that case? Because they, they need Cousins to not fail, to, to have a shot at factoring into the game. Uh, and But even if that is something that goes all wrong for the, for the Vikings, the Dalvin part, I think, is why you generally consider the, the Vikings the better team here in, in terms of, like, you know, the, the traditional matchup uh, – math here but the home field for the bears might even that up and then the vikings defense is shorthanded so i don't want to bet on the vikings here if, if i had to bet on this game i would actually certainly in terms of the the spread i would prefer the bears which who they've, there's been a four and a half point swing there mm. so 
I don't I don't agree with that. Uh, I, I I understand why someone would say like I think the Bears will lose, but it's like if you're giving me two and a half points on it, I I kind of would take that. I think because um, yeah, I I don't really trust Cousins to outplay Nick Foles in this setting when the Vikings corners are guys like Cam Dantzler and Jeff Gladney in the beat up too. So it might be what Chris Boyd and some I don't know I don't even know who they got at corner. Uh, Holton Hill got put on IR. I thought I saw. So that they're on to like backups of backups. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's sl- tough out slow there. Slow guys, small guys. Like there's just all these weaknesses all over the place. So uh, if if I mean I'm not exactly expecting David Montgomery to do anything because Eric Hendricks is still awesome and they, they got you know some fundamental run defense like Eric Wilson. The other linebacker is pretty good. Uh, but the, if they if they have to cover Allen Robinson and Mooney and and Miller, then I actually kind of give the advantage to Foles there. Whereas I don't really have a matchup basis for giving Cousins any advantage in this game. As you famously said um, last week uh, off mic, I regret to inform you, but it's Nick Foles week. And you weren't wrong. <laughs> it was it was ugly, but that's what I meant. Yeah, it's like he's going to get 320 yards and we're going to be pissed off at every single throw he makes. <laughs> but it's it's going to it's happening. It's going to look but like a dead it, duck. Yeah, I got to say, I like the Titans matchup better than this one. Like okay. Even Cam Dantzler, I think, is better than uh, whatever the hell uh, Jonathan Joseph's backup was last week. <laughs> yeah, so so this should be at least a little bit tougher, um, but I, I think you have a good read on this matchup. Uh, that's going to do it for us here on the Thursday edition of the Rotowire NFL podcast. For Mario Puig, I'm John McKechnie. Thanks for listening, and thanks to our sponsors, PropSwap and BetMGM. We'll catch you next week. Yeah.